It's the Bob McGowan Podcast, and it's brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today with uh, John Shannon. Baseball on the docket today on a snowy day here yeah, in I Southern Ontario. I was going to say exactly what you need to be able to do when it's snowing outside. Talk baseball. Think, think about the warmth of Florida and talk a little bit of ba- baseball. Yep. You know, I used to I used to always look forward to the end of January because that's when the pitchers and catches reported. But I guess it's going to be a while. We'll talk to Shai Davidi about it, and uh, and see what he what he can tell us about uh, reporting dates. Shai Davidi of Sportsnet Baseball on on the docket today. We'll be back in a moment. Hi, this is Bob McCowan for BetRivers.com. Hey, if you're looking for a sports book or casino app. You should check out the Bet Rivers Sports and Casino app today. Play all of your favorite casino games for real money anywhere and anytime. Plus, get in the action with each sports game with hundreds of sports betting options. And get ready to feel like a VIP because you'll earn both loyalty level points and bonus store points on every real money wager you make. You must be 19 plus, available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, contact Connex Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 or speak to an advisor free of charge. BetRivers.com. McCallum and Shannon back with you. Uh, Shai Davidi is with us from uh, Sportsnet as he gets uh, set for spring training. I'm don't think you're going to be getting in shape to go to spring training, but you will be. Covered. I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe Shai's. You know, maybe there's something that's Shai's keeping a secret here. Well, I mean, I, I'm not trying to make a team, if that's what you're asking, but <laughs> I'm definitely trying to stay in shape because the the tsunami is coming, uh, and uh, I better be ready for uh, have my energy high all season long. It is interesting. This team has won back, has had back to back ninety game winning seasons, and yet they've made fairly dramatic change certainly to their outfield is uh is going to be completely different if you ac- uh, acknowledge that Springer will move probably to right field instead of being in center how do you feel about that well i it's something that i expected at the end of the season you're looking at it you've got two corner outfielders who are both on expiring contracts and you don't necessarily have anyone in the system to replace them. And, you know, the thinking all along is that, you know, try to turn your catching depth into an outfielder or another position player uh, with a bit of extended period of club control, contractual control. And that's essentially what they did. I think what's interesting is how they went about it. And you figure that they were, that was the area where they could balance out their lineup a little bit with left-handed hitters and, uh, that's certainly what they did with Keir, uh, Kevin Kiermaier and, and Dalton Varsho. But to me, the the most interesting thing, and I, you know, I had a sense that this was going to be a priority, but maybe not as heavily emphasized as it turned out to be, was the emphasis on defense. Yeah. Right. Like they got two of the better defensive outfielders in the game, and they've taken an area that was uh, at least, uh, you know, the, the metrics support this and some of the eye tests support this, uh, an area that was a little bit vulnerable and have made it very, very tight. And so, you know, the, they might have sacrificed a little bit on the run creation side, uh, but they're going to, they, in theory, uh, project to be significantly better from a run prevention side. And how that helps their pitching staff and how that helps the team overall, I think it's going to be really the, the test of uh, that's coming up in 23. Do you think that they made this move because of the redesigned outfield and the outfield fence, or they needed this change anyway? I think that this was happening regardless, but yeah. the... The, the new outfield fence, which is going to be asymmetrical, and it's going to have some, it's going to jut in in spots, it's going to jut out, you're going to have different angles. Uh, that certainly uh, added a little bit of impetus to it. Like, uh, ultimately, I, I think you look at all the factors that are at play there. One, you know, this team probably isn't scoring more, m- many more runs than it did last year, right? Like from an offense, okay. it's hard to make that better. So then how are you going to really improve your club? So you take a step back. Well, we can certainly give up less. And you kind of go into it with that mindset. 
okay, so that's an obvious op- area of opportunity. And then you factor in that there's going to be these new shift rules in play for the right. 23 season where, you know, you're going to have to have two infielders on the other side of the diamond. So if you want to cut off some of the advantages for left-handed hitters or extreme pull headers, you know, you might have to manipulate the way you play your outfield a little bit more. So I think all those factors drove the decision. Uh, but look, ultimately, if if the opportunities weren't there, then they wouldn't have done it. They wouldn't have made change for the sake of making change, but mm-hmm. the opportunities Understand. lined up with all the other factors at play. Just to, out of curiosity, um, and and for those of us that aren't on the inside, decisions like this and the the roster changes, um, is this eyeball test stuff, or is this the is this the analytics department saying this this will help us? Where where do you think the mix is of decision making? Well, it, so it, it's everything, but. The, the the metrics measuring defense have certainly improved, uh, at least from what's publicly available. And teams obviously have their own proprietary metrics too, uh, and they they they'll make their own judgments uh, that is over and above what exists in, in, from a public domain. But I think even if you just look at the eye test, like the Blue Jays were loose in the outfield, and like look, game two against the Seattle Mariners is the ultimate example of that. You know, there's the ball that falls in. Uh, in front of uh, Raimel Tapia that helps start an inning. And, you know, is it caught if somebody else is there? Maybe, you know, and, you know, does do, if you have Kevin Kiermeyer in center field, does that blooper by JP Crawford in the, in the seventh inning, does that fall in uh, or is it played differently? Mm-hmm. You know, cer- certainly maybe. And then you think about all the times where runner goes first to third or, you know, a guy scoring from first to home on a double and if you have slightly better outfield defense, you know, can you prevent that? Can you save 90 feet here and there? And you save 90 feet here and there, you're probably saving another 90 feet later in that inning. And maybe that get, saves, shaves off some runs and helps your pitchers get out of different spots. And then it saves outs for your pitching staff that, are, that, that they don't have to get or extra outs that they don't have to get. So I, I think you put all those factors together and you get to the decision uh, and then you know, factored, you know, layered in over top of that, the fact that you're going to have two players both headed for free agency. You're probably not re-signing both of them. You're trying to keep the asset alive. You're trying to, and you're trying, and that created an obvious spot for where you can turn over some players to try and get more lefted, left-handed bats into the lineup and, and create a bit more balance that way. Before we got into analytics, um, the consensus in a, was in a right fielder, you, your right fielder should have your best arm. Mm-hmm. You can make make the throw to third and uh, cut the runner off. Is Springer capable of doing that? Yeah, I mean, he's got enough arm. You know, is he going to be, you know, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. throwing or Teoscar Hernandez throwing? And he's got a really strong arm also. Uh, you know, I'm not sure about that. But I, I think in terms of his ability to play, uh, to play the position, make sure that he's, you know, stealing some hits here and there, you, you know, that should be fine. And then you've got Kevin Kiermaier to his right. So might allow him to maybe play a little bit more of a concentrated area and not have to, to run around as much. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how his arm plays in right field. You know, we, yeah. saw, we saw it in spurts uh, mm-hmm. and it looked fine, but, you know, again, very, very small sample size. So can't read into it, but you, know, you also think about one of the, the best catches that he made last year was early in the season against the, the Houston Astros uh, in the ninth inning of a game, chasing a ball uh, right down to the wall in the ninth inning and in right field that he had made that catch as opposed to in center field. So, you know, he's certainly going to be a dynamic presence there. And, you know, you, you know, factor in what he gives you with the bat, you know, that, that should be plenty fine. How much easier is it to play right field than center for somebody like Springer? Well, and and does it, it have an effect? Does it have an effect in his batting because he doesn't have to expel as much energy in center field in right field as center? Well, that that that's a theory that he doesn't have to expel as much, expend as much energy, and that allows him to, you know essentially put less wear and tear on his body, which should translate into better performance at the plate. Look, he's also coming back from the elbow uh, surgery. Right. So, you know, he's not going to have to deal with uh, that bone spur anymore and the, and the pain that he'd uh, been fighting through as a result of that. Uh, you know, in, in terms of, you know, how different is it? Well, 
just responsible for a smaller area, right? As a center fielder, you've got the biggest area field to play, but you're also responsible for making sure you're backing up balls to either to both your left and your right too. So mm -hmm. there's, you put a lot more miles on the odometer that way uh, in right field. Again, he's got the, you know, foul line to, to, to right center and that's his territory. So he's not going to be running around as much. And the, the theory at least is that less wear and tear, you should get a more productive George Springer and ultimately we'll see how that plays out. Just a couple of years ago that you looked at this blue Jay team and you said, it's a good team and it's a young team that will grow into being a, being a good team well all of a sudden it's not that young a team anymore there are a couple of young players that are are important to the organization but if you look around you know this is a veteran team now the outfield is all veteran guys a couple guys over 30 um you know you've got chapman at third base i want to talk a bit about him because he's this is his last year under contract right he's That's a free right. agent at the end of this year so they have to make a decision there this is the guy who's going to, probably going to get a decent amount of money. And money becomes a factor with the Blue Jays. You know, with Bichette and uh, and Biggio coming up, not to mention everybody else, and they're already spending a lot more than they ever have, um, becomes a factor. What do you think what do you think the prognosis for Chapman is? Do they do they like him enough to pay him twenty million a year? I mean, it, it's really fascinating. And Chapman is uh, a real important piece of this team, uh, both from his presence and leadership and then obviously the defense and, and offensively. And, and there's still probably another gear offensively that he might be able to find. And, you know, he yes. certainly believes that. Now, he, you know, he, he turned down a significant extension early in his career from the Oakland Athletics. Uh, so he's going to be looking to for, for a big number, understandably so. And then with what we saw in free agency this year, I mean, I mean, gargantuan the, salaries. Yeah, the market—it's a completely different market, right? Yeah. And right, the, in terms of there are more teams that are being aggressive uh, and they're willing to spend to higher figures. Like we're going to see way more teams in the tax than we've ever seen before uh, this year, at least the way that it's projecting out right now. So you've got all those—you've got that market factor. And then look, the Blue Jays. They're going to have to, at a certain point, make the decision, are they paying Bo and Vlad long-term uh, or how are they handling that? So that's going to add more money to the book, the books. At the same time, they do have some significant money coming off the books uh, this offseason, which is going to give them a little bit of flexibility. You know, $20 million from Hyun, for Hyunjin Ryu disappears. Uh, you know, the Matt Chapman, depending on what they do, you know, that's uh, 12, 12 and a half, 13. That's coming off the books. Uh, they were going to have to pay Lourdes and Teoscar. You know, that money's right. no, no longer there. So there is some flexibility for them to work with. But, you know, uh, if, if Manny Machado opts out, as we expect, well, then uh, that's obviously going to be the premier third baseman on the market. But, you know, Chapman's going to be right there. And so, you know, it's going to be a significant commitment. And I think the question will ultimately come down to what is he cutting you off from? Uh, and then the other piece is, look, if, if you're thinking just from an internal perspective, who the Blue Jays might have who could potentially replace them, right? They've got Aurelvis Martinez is now probably the top position player prospect on, on the club. Uh, is he going to be ready? He's got some some holes in the swing that he's got to figure out. Although he's done a lot of damage as, as a as a teenager in Double A, so it's incredible talent there. But there's also uh, a young guy named Addison Barger uh, who touched Triple A last year. Left-handed hitter, hits for a ton of power, good defenders, shorts a natural shortstop, but can certainly move over. And you know, is does he become does he force his way into the planning and the discussion here at some point? Mm -hmm. So, I, I think all that goes into it. Uh, but if Matt Chapman departs, it's really, really hard to replace that. You know, that's that's defense on a level honestly we haven't seen here in Toronto since Scott Rowland, and it's at that level. It's like Hall of Fame caliber defense. That uh, you know, you're, you're not gonna you're you're not gonna see that uh, or replace that very easily. Was his bat a disappointment? I don't think it was a disappointment. I think he was productive. 
you would have liked to see it be see him be maybe a bit less streaky. You'd like to see him eat, eat into those strikeouts a little bit, but it's sort of what what he was described as, right? It's going to be uh, there's going to be some power, there's going to be some walks, uh, and then there's going to be some strikeouts. And, and he was to me, he came as advertised. I think you know the combination. I also think early in the season his numbers got skewed a bit because he was hitting into some terrible luck. Uh, you know, there were some balls that he killed that you are absolutely sure were home runs that were dying at the track. And you may remember that from, from last uh, April and May, there was so much discussion around the game about uh, all these fly balls that were dying. He seemed to have been victimized by that a, a ton, uh, but then he picked it up and it was a productive player for them. So I, I don't think so, but I, uh, at the same time, I also feel like there is the potential for another gear there too. But you have to be aware that the left side of the infield for the Blue Jays may be different um, at the end of this year and and going forward, wh- whether it's Chapman or not, whether he goes or doesn't go. You've got a shortstop that, you know, they're, they're, they're $2.5 million apart uh, uh, in, in the contract. And there's a sense that he's maybe writing a ticket out of here. Do you yeah, think so? I- I mean, I see that narrative out there and I, I think you can look at these, all these, you could, you could take all these numbers. You can, you, you can take a bunch of twos and, you know, put them together and, you know, come up with five or seven instead of six or eight in some ways, they still have three years together. There is a lot of time for all this stuff to get figured out. And part of this is just Bo Bichette's personality, right? Bo Bichette is determined to max out. And there is nothing wrong with that. And the team is determined to pay its number. And look, with when arbitration, it's not personal, right? It's like, I, I feel my numbers are right. Mm. I feel the other side feels their numbers are right. And they're each going to make their case and somebody has to decide it. And, you know, just talking to some people who are involved in the process, like they're all looking at this case and thinking this one is really fascinating because there isn't, a, a good comp player that you can put up uh, for Bo Bichette at, at this stage of arbitration with this stage of service time. Mm-hmm. And that's part of why you have the complication. And even though they're two and a half million dollars apart, what's interesting is that, you know, the blue Jays essentially, they have to prove that Bo Bichette's salary needs to be is, is would be best compared to players who were paid less than 6.25 million uh, to win. And the Bichette camp, they have to prove that his salary is or his numbers are akin to a player who got paid more than 6.25 and they right. win. So neither side has to prove that it's five or seven. You just have to prove that you're 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 on the right side of the midpoint. Right. And so uh, I think both, uh, you know, for both the Blue Jays and Bichette, uh, Major League Baseball and the Players Union. Uh, they're all looking at this case as one that has a chance to be really significant within the industry for a longer period of time. Uh, and and I think that may also be factoring into why both sides are, are dug mm-hmm. in a little bit more than otherwise might be. I was going to say, because I, I, you know, with all the money that's been spent in baseball, what the heck is two and a half million dollars? Well, that 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 was a, a yeah, but it's an indicator, mind. John. No, I know more than anything. And I, I no, I understand that. Um, but and and I, it was explained well. The other, but and, and I, you wonder too is for Bo's side is the comparable Vladdy, not from no. a position, no. not from a bat. No, I know, I know, but I mean, hey, there are there are players compete with each other at times too. So when yeah. they see Vladdy signing for fourteen and a half. They say, well, hold on. Aren't we closer that, than that? In theory, from an emotional standpoint, you could certainly look at it that way. But from uh, the, the arbitration system doesn't allow you to look at it that I way. I understand right? that. So, like, you know, Vlad, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was a super two player. He's in, his, he's in arbitration for the second time. And that's why his salary is escalating at a faster pace than that of Bichette. Right. You know, for Bo cannot... Bo can only Bo's camp and Major League Baseball for that matter, the Blue Jays. They can only throw up that are in the same arbitration class. So Bo can only compare himself to other first-time arbitration eligible players, right? So you know Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is out the window. 
uh, Trey Turner, who statistically is actually at, at this point in time, a really good match for him. He mm-hmm. was a super two player. So he's out the window. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, he's got to look for players in their first time of arbitration. And my guess is that they would point to Francisco Lindor or someone like that saying, okay, well, Bo's closer to, to that, to him than say, you know, Carlos Correa was his first time through and, and other players were in their first time through. So that, that is how the system would work. And that, so from an emotional level, yeah, Bo absolutely would think this is important to this team as Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is. I should be getting played like Vladdy, but the system simply doesn't allow doesn't that. Doesn't let that happen. So, so to, to be clear, um, in this situation, this cannot hurt the relationship between Bo and the team. Well, I mean, this is just this is just this is just business. Well, I mean, yes and no. Well, hurt that's the relationship. All, all depends on how you perceive it, right? That's right. Like that's not very clear. I wanted to be clear. Well. <laughs> it's never clear, right? Look, it's like anytime you go into any sort of negotiation in life, anybody in any industry, right? Like on how you view the actions of the other side, right? And I could I could probably think about negotiations I've had and I can examine it analytically. And I could think, okay, this is just business and it's not personal. And then I can let my emotions get involved and be like, right, or that didn't make me feel good. And so I think there's probably both elements of that. Bo is like, he is obviously feels very strongly that his numbers are justified are justifying the $7.5 million ask. The Blue Jays are looking at their data and they're saying, we're very justified in the five. And if I, and it's a really big gap for a first time through, like to be two and a half yes. million dollars apart for that's a big gap. Okay. So like, this isn't like something they're like, okay, let's meet in the middle. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I had a, an agent of somebody else that I was talking to and he said to me, look, the Blue Jays had what 12 arbitration cases and they got 11 of them done. That says that, you know, they, they were probably closer and a starting point with all those players to be able to get them done uh, and avoid hearings. And that the gap with the Bichette camp might've been too wide, that they're just seeing things too far apart that they didn't think they were going to get there. Um, And, you know, and the one other factor why this is, this, this number is really important for both teams is because once you're into the arbitration system, your salary is platforming off the previous year's number each time subsequently through the system, right? right? So if Bo is at 7.5 rather than 5, his salary next year is going to multiply at a much higher rate than it would at 5 million. So the, the stakes from this hearing aren't just about the 2023 salary, but also what he's making in 24 and 25 as well. So let's talk a second about, you know, we've been watching Bichette through his minor league career and on his way up to the majors and and now at, at the big league level. We know that offensively he provides something that the Blue Jays want and need. But what kind of a player is do you think he is defensively? That's a much more difficult question to answer especially among shortstops who are usually, you know, well, for there were for years and years and years, it was defense first, offense second. You know, if you hit 220, who cares if you could, if you could go get the ball? What's, what's, what do you think Bo Bichette is as a defensive shortstop? I, you know, I think the consistency last year is what stuck with people, right? And that he had these, uh, I I can think of, two spurts in the season where there were sort of a spate of errors on routine ish plays and that wasn't good. And, you know, you obviously you can't afford that with your shortstop at the same time. I also look at like how young he is from a shortstop perspective to have been an everyday shortstop for as long as he has been and the gains that he's made. And I believe that there's still upside there. I think he's got a chance to be, uh, a very consistent and steady defensive shortstop, one who has tremendous offensive upside. And, you know, I look at 
Marcus Simeon as a great example, right? Like Marcus Simeon's first three, first few years in the league as a shortstop with the Oakland Athletics, you're like, this. there's no chance this guy can be a shortstop in the major leagues. And every year he gets better. He's incredibly determined and relentless. And he eventually builds himself up into a, a, to a good shortstop. There's no reason why Bo Bichette can't be on the same trajectory. He's got the same work ethic, if not a stronger one uh, than, than Marcus Simeon, you know, he's got the athletic ability to do it. And it's just a matter of through and figuring out the, the little things that, that the mechanical things, the timing things that he's got to get through. And part of that is reps and, and part of that is experience. And so, you know, he's got that, he's able to be a, a dynamic force at the plate the Blue Jays may very well not get to the postseason last year without his August and September. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the the caliber of player that you're dealing with. And it, it's easy to to nitpick when somebody isn't perfect, but and baseball, because of the way that it is, we always are looking at somebody's flaws as opposed to somebody's strengths. I mean, 29 other teams would love to have Boba shot. And, uh, you know, I think that it's sort of a uh, something for people to remember that, it may not be perfect, but he's still growing. Like he is, in st- his development is far from complete. And uh, you know, I think that you keep on writing this out because he's he's going to get better. Before before we go to break, do the new rules uh, do they will they affect how he plays his position? And is that a concern? I mean, it's interesting to see how they're going to play it, right? So the Blue Jays, oftentimes in shifts, they'd move him over the second base side on certain plays. I mean, that's gone. Uh, and, you know, is he going to have to start more plays and, and try to range a little bit more often to his left? Are they going to, how are they going to position, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Merrifield or Espinal or Biggio, whoever's at second base? Yeah, there's 100% going to be an impact, but everybody's got that impact in some way, shape or form. So the, the zones that, all the infielders are going to be covering are going to be a little bit different uh, just because they're not going to have the same starting point. Um, and I think we're all curious to see how, how that ends up changing the game, whether the the impact is going to be as drastic as we believe it's going to be. Uh, do you believe that as a result of these rule changes where you have to have two infielders on either side of second base, do you think offensively teams um, try and do something different? Because I, I, I'm of the opinion that if you're a pull hitter, you don't care about pushing it down the third baseline if you're a left-handed hitter. You know, you can have a, it could be wide. And many times it's wide open over there. Yeah. And you almost never see anybody try and go the other way who's a who's a pull hitter. Yeah. I'm not sure they I, can anymore in this. I'm not sure the kids I'm not sure the kids can do it. Well, neither am I. Well, I mean, <laughs> let's also let's also remember like trying to do that off 97 with sink or run uh it's a bit of a different animal than than what the what the game was oh i get it and so like it's a lot harder and i think what basically what teams have been teaching and what players have been doing is just like get under the ball elevate because that's going to be the best result for you and uh, you're going to be able to do the most damage and so now that they're going to be in theory some more holes in the infield are players going to be as dead set on elevating the ball? You know, will will they be willing to just you know hook a hook a ground ball through the three four hole uh, now that it's going to exist again in theory? Uh, that's a great question, and I don't know. You know, the game in theory should evolve. Um, you know, the other thing is the bases are going to be a little bit bigger, right? A couple inches bigger, so now. You, you may have a, a little, especially if you've got some speed, you might have a bit of a better chance of beating certain balls out in the infield. I, I don't know how all this stuff is going to translate and how much it's going to change and how quickly it is. But the there has been a school thought that the game needs to start training and developing complete hitters, not just guys who are trying to elevate and, and, and hit the ball over the wall. Right. I don't. I don't know that we're we're going to necessarily see a shift as immediate as that, but maybe we're going to start seeing the seeds planted of you know moving back towards something along those lines. Okay, we got to take a break. Um, we're halfway through this. Shai Davidi is with us from Sportsnet. We'll be back in a moment with Shai Davidi of Sportsnet as we uh, talk about the Blue Jays' weeks. 
uh, away from spring training. Uh, we met, we've talked about third base. We talked about shortstop. Um, do you think, first of all, before we get off the, uh, the, the topic, do you think the Blue Jays will have to make a decision between whether to sign Guerrero and or Bichette, or is it still possible that we will see them sign both of them? I don't necessarily think it has to be one or the other. Uh, look, we're, we're seeing the Blue Jays uh, right up against and perhaps passing the uh, the competitive balance tax threshold for the first time. Yeah. Uh, and there's going to be more money coming in. The they're, They'll be in a partly renovated stadium this year and fully renovated in time for 24 or maybe close to done in 24 with a bit more coming in 25. But that should create additional revenue streams. Uh, the game, at some point, they're going to have a uh, sponsored, uh, sponsored patch on their jerseys. It's going to be a, another uh, avenue to, to some revenue. So more money is coming in. You, in theory, you can do it. Uh, ultimately, can you get to the sweet spot with the players, right? Yeah. And the challenge from a timing standpoint, in some ways, this is the last offseason where there's a real window of opportunity. Because if you think about it, so Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s uh, $8 million last year, going to be $14.5 million this year. That $14.5 million is going to be the floor for him in the next two years. Like, even if he collapses, like right. that's where his... So he's got another $30 million locked in, right? So he's about $50 million in earnings at this point by the time he hits free agency. Like, that's a pretty good number in your worst-case scenario. So how much do you have to give him to buy him out of the opportunity to really cash in as a free agent? And then every year you're closer to that. Well, he's got more money in the bank now. So the pressure to, to get that big deal is lessened. So th this is really the time with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Maybe have another window year with, with Bo. Uh, but ultimately the, I think this offseason will change, will further change the expectations of players of uh, in terms of sort of uh, what it takes to be bought out of free agency. And are the Blue Jays willing to go there? Ultimately, that's what it comes down to. And if you really believe in the player, then you're willing to make the investment. And if you have some doubts or, you know, simply you just can't, you just can't stomach the, the risk financially, then you play it out and see where you land. So when does this become a distraction? Or is it now? Or is it now? I mean, just, you know, the Boston Red Sox lived with it right up to the free agency for Xander Bogarts, ended up lo losing him uh, and the, the whole thing. And then that ended up getting Devers done. Uh, you know, the, the Yankees, the Yankees went a full year with Aaron Judge in the midst of, uh, you know, the, the record chase, the Maris record chase uh, with, with that free agency lurking in the background. So it, it doesn't have to be a distraction. And I, I don't think it will be a distraction, but if the talks aren't handled in a way that, you know, the players feel good about it, the players feel like they were trying, the team tried to shortchange them or something along those lines, then you can build some potential resentment. So, you know, are they there, you know, when will it become a distraction? I think that really depends on how everybody handles it. And, you know, it's, it could be one already. It, it could be nothing until free agency arrives. Uh, it's all, again, it just, it depends on how everybody chooses to handle it. So Guerrero has stated that he loves Toronto. He likes, he loves being a blue Jay. He wants to spend his entire career here, whether he will or not will depend of course on money. And that will talk. Bichette has said nothing of the sort. Does that mean anything to you? No. I, I don't think that anybody should read into that. Uh, I do believe he loves Toronto. He loves his teammates. and uh, But I, I can see Bo, just because of his personality type, really wanting to go to free agency. Yeah. Being a guy who just wants to test it, wants to see, wants to be able to, 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 get, to gauge his value on the open market. Uh, at the same time, there's, there's three years. There's a lot of time for sides to come together or f be able to find common ground or get to a point where they they want to handle it. So I I feel like there's a lot of tea leaf reading with, with Bo Bichette and 
every action of his gets interpreted within the lens of does he want to be here or does he not want to be here? Uh, you know, I just think that he's an incredibly driven player. He's someone who is very, very intent on trying to become the best player in the game. And I think that he'd want to, he'd want all the spoils of that for better or worse. Yeah. It's been some time since the Blue Jays had an everyday DH, a guy who was the the DH. It's usually a player taking a day off of his position or whatever. Um, Is Belt that guy now? That's the plan right now. And, you know, considering he's coming off uh, major knee surgery, he's been through that a few other times, they're going to want to try to keep him as healthy as possible. And that's where his bat's going to get into the lineup, right? Uh, Spell Vladimir Guerrero Jr. occasionally at first base. Uh, He's played some outfield in his career, so maybe there's a scenario where he gets out in the outfield for a little bit. But he's here to hit home runs, right? Right. He's the DH, right. And that's that's a great fit for him. Uh, you know, like judging by how the wall is looking, if uh, it's as short as it projects to be, or it could be uh, pretty advantageous for him to uh, to start knocking some balls into a bit of a short porch out there and right. Uh, that would play well. Uh, and if you, even if you look at some of his spray charts and kind of put them over uh, American League East parks, uh, it, it looks like he could certainly do some damage uh, here in a way that you know, the bigger ballparks of the NL West did not allow. So uh, that it's going to be really interesting to see how that role plays. But the, the other thing that I do like about it is that he gives them some element of depth, right? You know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., for whatever reason, ends up, you know, needs 10 or 15 days on, on the IL for, for something. Well, now you've got him to slide in there and he's able to overcome that. So, uh, you know, they've got a little bit more depth, a little bit more protection and you know, if Brandon Bell, if you're getting any sort of facsimile of what he was in 20 and 21, mm-hmm. uh, that that's going to be a pretty significant addition to this lineup. Agreed. But but you know who it takes the bats away from? It takes the bats away from Kirk, right? Right. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. But that's not necessarily a bad thing because maybe Kirk's workload was a little too high last year and maybe that's why he he wore down a bit towards the end of the season you saw some of the power dip from him you know maybe he needs to be managed a bit more uh at the same time he's going to be playing a lot assuming he's healthy like you're going to be looking to like 80 100 games from him behind the plate there's still going to be games against left-handers and matchups where you're going to want kirk's bat in there so I, I still think he's going to get a similar number of at-bats or pretty close to what he had last year. Uh, and I, I'm not sure it's going to take away from Kirk as much as maybe we think it would does. I, I think maybe for, for the others, like if you're looking as things stand right now, you know, maybe there's fewer DH days for Danny Jansen. There's fewer DH days for say Kevin Biggio or well, Whit Of Mary course. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's maybe where some of the impact is a bit more as opposed to just being on Kirk. We haven't talked to you since uh, since the catcher trade, since the Moreno trade. Did it surprise you or did you think that that was the guy that was going to go? I think I thought there was a possibility that they, they would have moved either one of them really depended on the deal. Uh, but, you know, this is a deal that ultimately makes the most sense because he put, I think the, the the value that the Blue Jays put on the relationships that their catchers have with their pitchers, they really value uh, Danny Jansen's impact in game planning and game calling and his communication with pitchers. Like they, they you know, I, I started hearing that about that, like really early in the off season. And I was kind of like, is this, somebody trying to inflate value here but when he ended up staying and you started hearing some of those same things again you're like okay they legitimately uh do put to put a value on that so you know i thought that was i wasn't i wasn't surprised that they kept uh kirk and moreno uh Mm -hmm. sorry kirk and jansen you know integrating a catcher on a win now team is incredibly difficult and you were going to take away from a strength if you moved one of Jansen or Kirk. So you, you'd have to have gotten a very significant contributor back. 
And in this way, you're, you're training a younger player in, uh, in Moreno for uh, a young, a youngish player who's, you know, still a couple of years into the big leagues is still a lot, a lot of runway. Uh, and that makes a little bit more sense. What's your expectation of Varsho? I mean, we, we haven't really seen him play very much because he played in Arizona. Yeah, I mean, everything that I've heard is just, and you know, highlights you've seen, like spectacular defender, uh, really good base runner, smart player, uh, and someone who's got some pop. And, you know, is he, uh, someone described him to me as sort of a left-handed Matt Chapman, right? Like he'll walk, he'll hit, he'll hit some home runs, he'll strike out. Uh, you know, if he's that, that's great. There's probably a little bit of upside there too. And, you know, maybe they can unlock a little bit more. Again, he was in big ballparks of the NL West. Let's see how that plays in the AL East. Uh, I, I think it's going to be he's going to be really interesting. And the fact that in a pinch you can use him as a catcher too is a nice bonus for you know a team that sometimes has a, a catcher at DH. And so now you've got a, a third catcher on the roster without having to devote a, a third a third spot to a catcher. We have gone like forty minutes or whatever in this conversation. We haven't talked about pitching staff at all, and. You know, when you when you headed into the off season at the beginning of the off season, you said this team needs a fourth starter and would like to get a fifth starter. Well, they got the fourth one in Bassett, I guess. Oh yeah, that's what you look uh, at. Yeah, it's uh, calling Chris uh, calling Chris Bassett a fourth starter. It's pretty good, right? Yeah. Uh, well, well, that's just, that's assuming that. that's assuming Barrios is the third. Come on, well, whatever. That's, that's the that's the factor, right? I'm talking I'm talking a number, not yeah. a, a ranking. Yeah. You know, but they 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 are still a starter short, aren't they? Well, it does seem that they're determined to try to figure this out with Kikuchi and Mitch White, right? And there's Ricky Tiedemann off in the distance. But Tiedemann, about, Tiedemann might be ready mid-season, but probably he might, not. He might be ready earlier. I think the the to me, the, the stuff's got a chance to play pretty soon. Tiedemann's stuff like his is it's off the charts yeah the the question the question to me is how much workload can he handle because he's not like Manoa where Manoa had three years of college hauling innings 100 plus innings and so you know he'd done a little bit of marathon before he got into the minor league system Right. right Tiedemann last year the 80 something innings he ended up throwing you know, that's the most that he'd thrown as the first time he'd gotten to that level, right? He right. doesn't have that same backdrop. So can you say to him, hey, kid, come to the majors with all the extra adrenaline and the spotlight and all that and give us 120 innings? Yeah. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think you can pencil that in. You Obviously, you, your best case scenario is that it happens, but it's also it's a recipe to potentially blow a guy out. So Yeah, you hope, but you don't know. Right, right. So – you know, I think that's what makes his ascension a little bit different to that of Manoa. But from a talent perspective, uh, you know, you can certainly see some potential parallels to that of Manoa because this is a guy like his, you know, the descriptions I've heard of his stuff. And, you know, I've, I've seen a pitch a couple times, like it's, it's wow. Right. Like this is, this is legit power arm, nasty stuff, but, you have to think you have to be fair to your team. You have to be fair to the kid and you have to be realistic about sort of how much you can put on him, how quickly. So, you know, Mitch white and you Kikuchi certainly have an opportunity to give the blue Jays competent pitching. Like I'm not, I'm not prepared to give up on you Kikuchi yet. I know a lot of people get frustrated with him. I can certainly understand why, but it's like all the, all the tools are there. It's just, you know, you keep trying to put, put it together. It's like, eventually you'll figure out the puzzle mate. You, or you hope to eventually figure out the puzzle, but it's there. It's just a matter of how do you get the pieces together? Um, you know, and, and Mitch white too, Mitch white could be Mitch white feels like Ross stripling five years ago. Yeah. No, so he but had, again, listen, he had some good outings with in LA, yeah. you know, he, he looked a lot better as a Dodger than he did as a blue Jay last year. Wouldn't you agree? Look for a number like he had a couple good outings with the with the Jays as well, where you're like, okay, I see it. Yeah. But the, it's just it's not there on a consistent enough basis. He's obviously got some things he's got to figure out. Um, 
but again the the like it all starts like the ability is there can you extract it on both those guys so you, you know like to bring in you know in an ideal world you're bringing in someone else who's a five and you've got no question but because you have so much stability one through four and I'm on the I'm on the Jose Barrios is going to be fine train um <laughs> you know like I I just think you've got enough stability one through four that you can you can take a few chances at five and not have it kill you do you think they're done I don't think they're done I could see them <clears throat> still potentially exploring some stuff on the minor league side um you know if, they, if there are still trades out there I wouldn't be surprised they're still poking around just seeing if yeah, there there are other opportunities, but I, I think the bigger things are complete at this point. So um, they've they've certainly turned over the the roster in not in a major way, but in in sort of a more precise but significant fashion. Uh, and you know, I think that at this point, you're doing what all the other teams do. It's just is there an opportunity that's going to fall to fall to them here? Right. Uh, but barring the unforeseen, and you never know, things happen at spring training. Oh, yeah. But barring the unforeseen, Kikuchi and White will fight it out for the number five spot? As That's what I was told, uh, you know, as, as, as things stand right now. Uh, and again, somebody wants to emerge. Uh, you that's know, right. A, it could happen. A, a pitcher last year uh, at Buffalo who ended up uh, late in the season was in the was relieving in the Myers, but was a starter most of the year, hating younger. Uh, he's an interesting guy too. Uh, it's somebody that the organization is pretty excited about. It's kind of worth keeping an eye on. Look, the Blue Jays are they're, they've, they're have enough pitching right now that they should be fine to get through the season. Um, now, like you know, you you kind of go into the situation like this. Okay, like. In an ideal world, you'd have one more power arm for the bullpen. In an ideal world, you have one more starter. Well, you know, let it play out a little bit, and then you can address it. You can address those areas at the trade deadline and tweak as you need at that point. So, kind of give you want to create a little bit of uh, room for opportunity for players that you believe in. Uh, the Blue Jays obviously believed in both White and Kikuchi. You know, the other factor too is that Mitch White he is out of options, so can't um, send him down. You can't send him down without risking losing him on waivers. And yeah. he's not, he's not, he's not passing no waivers. So Mitch White is on this team in one way or the other. Uh, just roll to roll TBD. Yeah. Okay. Getcha. We're out of time. We got to get out of here. Uh, final question uh, on the way out right now. Do you think this is a better team than it was last year? Yes, because I think they're going to be tighter defensively. I do want to, I am curious to see whether they're going to have any, whether they're going to miss Teoscar Hernandez in the middle of that lineup uh, behind Vladdy, even though I know Alejandro Kirk was behind Vladdy for, for the majority, yeah, of, majority of the season, but in a dream world or the proper world, uh, things going to plan, it's, it's Teo at four, you know, do they miss that? That's, that to me is the question. If Brendan Belt can, can alleviate that and Kirk can alleviate that, then mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't think there, that there's going to be much doubt that, uh, that this team's better. Well, listen, uh, if we don't talk to you, and we probably won't before you head for Florida and then the World Baseball Classic, uh, have a good trip, and uh, we'll we'll chat down the road. Thank you, Shy, very much. Yeah, appreciate it as always, guys. Be well. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Shy Davidi of Sportsnet, back after this. Our thanks to Shy Davidi for being with us. What do you think, John? You, you know the one the one thing we didn't address, and I'm really curious about it, is that you know when when John Schneider got hired as the interim manager, and did a I think a a, a pretty good job, yeah, in in that position last year. He's now got a longer term deal, a little more job security. He's brought in Don Mattingly as his bench coach. I wonder how his approach to the team will change now, if at all, and will we notice that? Mattingly or the manager? Both. Well, I mean, both. I mean, you know, there, there, you know, there were t- times last year, and you know, two of the guys that got traded, you know, Guriel and, and Hernandez, you know, they were. It was a fun. It was a fun group to watch. You know, whether it would be, whether it would be uh, horsing around in the in the uh, in the dugout or you know uh, the Gatorade 
can getting tossed on the the guy every interview with Hazel or or a rash. I wonder if that changes now with a with a team that is a, the expectation is that they have to compete in the American League East. Well, as you know, John, you know one end of the dugout was the Hispanics having fun, right? And two of the Hispanics, two of the key guys in that group, are now gone. Well, but that's kind of my point, Bob. Is and 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 I, is I mean, the, on the is, field, we can evaluate easily. You know, economic right. what what they what they mean, and they, we have an economic impact. But it's that did they do this as much because of the dugout stuff as they did well, based on the uh, on field performance? Well, that, that's a good and, question. Yeah, and 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 does the does the uh, the attitude change? After blowing such a lead in in the playoffs to the Mariners, is there is there a, a demand? I don't to think be more, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Is there but... a demand to be more focused? Like, hey boys, we're up, we're up by eight, or we're up by seven. You know what? We're gonna we can have some fun, boys. We have to stay on course. We have to do this properly. I I, I and 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 I mean I I have never been in a major league dugout during a game. Uh, I'm I imagine with with as many players in the dugout when you're at bat. It's probably a difficult place to stay serious all the time. I no, just wonder. Right. I just wonder if, with two guys, Snyder with the long-term deal, Mattingly with his reputation as a you know as a hey listen a great ball player was a pretty good manager himself. Will there be more focus? Will there be less frivolity? Well, and, there will be less frivolity. I can assure you of that because two of the guys in the middle of it are gone. Yeah, and but the Vladdy's still there. Is, Vladdy's still there. But I know, but Vla, Vla, Vladdy doesn't have... Who's Vladdy going to fun with? No. Springer? Springer isn't <laughs> that guy. I, Look, I, it was, I, I it don't was know. Clear. It was the Hispanics at one end of the dugout that were gathered together, and they were all speaking Spanish, and they were having a good time. And two of those and guys... And there's nothing wrong with that. No, not. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. And I don't know what it means that they won't be there, but somebody like Vladdy, what's that important to him or not important? Hey, listen, when your when your bobblehead has you holding a uh, Gatorade uh, can, it was important. You know, I mean that was that was well, part we'll of his see. day. To, that was part of his day to day routine when the Jays won. Was he was in charge of bringing the uh, you know the, the the blue water out? Yeah. Well, will that still be? Will the jacket? Will the home run jacket yeah, still be I, in play? I just wonder if this if this is the year that this team buckles down and and makes it look a little bit more like a business. That's all. That's all I'm asking. No, I agree. I think it's a hundred percent. And I wonder whether management did did made the moves that they made at least in part because of that. Yeah. Were they happy with you know the party in the dugout every night? But I, I think there was a lot of fans that loved it, Bob. I think a I lot did. of fans. Uh, you I thought didn't? it was great. Yeah. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. No, I yeah, got. I got no. I got no issue with it. Yeah, so, so, I'm just wondering whether whether Bish, whether uh, whether Vladdy is is the one guy who was impacted by the fact that yeah. that doesn't go on anymore. Yeah. Interesting. It was, it'll see. be fun to see. Yeah. Uh, John is off to uh, Mexico, so uh, we will. Uh, I, I, Bob, I'm on assignment. Oh, okay. And we will. Uh, Mickey is off to Mexico. <laughs> And John may tag along, so we'll uh, we'll we'll survive without him for a few for a couple of days. Couple of days. So come back and see us again tomorrow. Uh, for John Shannon, Bob McCown. Goodbye, everybody. Mm-hmm.